one thing that we've been pointing out is that inflation is not going to come down in the straight line, as I was saying earlier. There's a couple of short-term risks that I think could skew numbers higher. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The latest U.S. consumer price data came in hotter than expected, with core inflation proving more resilient than economists were forecasting in January. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McHaney, Alfred Lee, and your host Mackenzie Box discuss why inflation is sticky and how markets should be braced for additional volatility ahead. They also discuss whether a new tax on share buybacks could spell bigger dividends for U.S. companies, as well as the impact that President Biden's Buy American campaign could have on mid-cap stocks in that country. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in to provide your comments and questions to the team. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, and product at BMO Global Asset Management. And today I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Thank you to both Chris and Alfred for joining me today. Thanks, Mackenzie. Thank you. So let's get started. But first, we're going to start off with a fun question. And I think coming off the weekend with the Super Bowl, I don't think this is something we've spoken about before, but there's the Super Bowl indicator, which says that if an AFC team wins the game, the stock market will fall the year ahead and it will rise if the NFC team wins. So with the Kansas City Chiefs winning Sunday, should we prepare for a down market? Now, this has been of an interesting correlation, but over the past 56 Super Bowls, the indicator has been correct 73% of the time. So Chris, we'll pass this one over to you. Yeah, thanks, Mackenzie. This is a fun one. Yeah, Super Bowl indicator. I think this one falls in the bucket of, if anyone's ever taken a statistics course, you should know that correlation does not equal causation. And obviously, the Super Bowl winner does not control the direction of the stock market. But for a little bit of background, this was actually first introduced way back in 1978. And so at that time, there had only been 12 Super Bowls, and it was correct every one of those 12 times. And so this started gaining influence or, or popularity. And in particular, through the 1980s, um, the NFC tended to win the Super Bowl almost every year. And of course, markets tend to go up most of the time as well. And so this indicator um, held a very strong success rate for a number of years. But uh, if I tell you, Mackenzie, that this indicator has been wrong in six of the past seven years, would that change your mind of uh, its significance or not? Um, As well, two particular years uh, stand out, 2008 and 2022, just this past year, both uh, years, the indicator was that the market would go up. And of course, those were two of the worst Uh, equity markets uh, we've seen in the past several decades. So um, I think really what this does is it it highlights that, you know, there's no secret sauce to investing, right? There's no uh, crystal ball that we can all peer into and and see what's uh, what lies ahead for the markets. Um, And so it really just emphasizes that 
investing and in particular long-term investing really just takes discipline, um, sticking to your guns and understanding what you're trying to achieve with your investments. And so, you know, setting out that plan, creating the right asset mix and sticking to that, of course, reviewing it every once in a while, whether that's annually or, or what have you, uh, is very important. Making those changes around the edges, uh, but really it's about staying disciplined and staying invested. Now, some of the tools that we have for that, of course, um, are our asset allocation ETFs. Um, you know, ZBAL and ZGrow are two, our uh, BMO Balance ETF and our BMO Growth ETF. Holding different ETFs in different allocations, you, you know, between equity and fixed income to create risk differentiated portfolios. But really holding one of these helps you to stay disciplined and helps you to stay true to your investing style and your investing objectives. Um, and then, of course, using that as the core of your portfolio or as a piece of your portfolio, and then adding around that with some of the other themes and ideas that we tend to talk about uh, on this podcast. And so, again, the Super Bowl indicator is a fun one, always comes up in January uh, and February. And of course, that's when we're looking ahead to what's to come in the year ahead. Um, so it's nice to talk about. But um, uh, again, it's uh, it's all about uh, discipline in your investments and sticking to what that asset allocation for you should be. Great. Thanks, Chris. And yeah, that definitely is a fun one and sounds about just in line as my uh, football pick. So maybe not uh, something to use going forward, but definitely uh, fun to talk about following the Super Bowl. BMO ETFs is proud to launch 10 new tickers with a range of solutions covering fixed income, sector-based covered calls, and inflation solutions. The BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, gives investors access to the broad U.S. market for shorter-duration bonds. Two new covered call funds in energy and healthcare tickers. ZWEN and ZWHC, respectively, are now available for sector-focused investors. For those seeking inflation-fighting funds, the BMO Global Agriculture ETF or BMO U.S. Tips Index ETFs, tickers ZEAT and TIPS, satisfy both equity and bond solutions to rising consumer prices. Visit BMOETFs.ca for more. Next, we'll turn to you, Alfred. U.S. CPI came in ahead of expectations yesterday. So 6.4% versus 6.2%. In addition to the job numbers in Canada last week, which came in 10 times higher than expectations, it looks like inflation is hanging around. The U.S. six-month T-bill also traded at 5% earlier this week, which indicates the Fed will remain hawkish. What will the impact be on U.S. bonds? And maybe you can use our new ETF, ticker ZUAG, BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, as a proxy here. Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, certainly no love from the uh, on the inflation front uh, that we got yesterday on Valentine's. Um, but I think, you know, yesterday, the market was all over the board uh, on the release of that data point. One thing that we've been noting to a lot of our listeners is that you know, I think investors are overly concerned about each data point that comes in. Investors have to keep in mind that these data points, sometimes are going to come in better. Sometimes they're going to come in worse than expectations. Generally, when you have a trend of data points that comes in, you know, better than expected, what typically happens is that 
the economists will revise their expectations and become, um, you know, more bullish or more bearish. Um, and then over time, you know, those expectations are going to be harder to, to beat. So, you know, naturally, you're going to have some data points that come in worse than expectations. And, you know, you digging deeper into the numbers. So uh, looking at, at where inflation came from, you know, on the good side, inflation continues to trend down. So this is, you know, one thing that we've been noting over the last couple of months is that we do can expect uh, disinflationary forces to continue, especially in the goods front. It's really on the services side that we continue to see uh, inflation that's more resilient. So the number that a lot of investors that were concerned about yesterday was the core inflation, X housing and X energy. Uh, it was really the month over month number that concerned a lot of investors, which really fell back to the October levels. So one thing that we've been pointing out is that inflation is not going to come down in the straight line, as I was saying earlier. There's a couple of short-term risks that I think could skew numbers higher over the next couple of months. So China reopening is one of them. The SPR, so the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserves, uh, those have been running really low um, over the last couple of months. So I was just looking at the inventory levels. It's back down to 1984 levels. Um, so that's the lowest it's been for a very long time. So as a result of that, you know, um, it's likely that they're going to have to refill that inventory. So over the next couple of months, you could expect CPI is probably going to be very noisy. But in terms of why markets were bouncing all over the place yesterday, it's really because the market was trying to figure out, you know, whether rate cuts were coming at the back half of the year. So currently, when I look at, you know, the overnight interest rate swaps, it's still pricing in a rate cut um, in the back half of the year, which I find a little bit surprising, given that for investors to think that it basically would indicate that the Fed would be admitting that they made a mistake somewhere along the way and they over-tightened, which I think um, is unlikely. And, and you know, to your point, you mentioned the 5% uh, six-month T-bill in the U.S., which it momentarily touched yesterday. When I look at the rate of change on that six-month T-bill, it's ticking up at a slower and slower level, which I think is a good indicator that the market does believe that the terminal value for you know, where the Fed is going to end off in terms of, you know, where it ends off in the tightening cycle, I think we're very close to that terminal value at this point. So the good news is that, you know, from a bond perspective, I think because we are very close to that terminal value, whether we get another 25 basis points, 50 basis points, or whatever it may be, um, I think that's going to be good for the bond market. Um, you know, when looking at uh, the U.S. aggregate bond ETF, so ZUAG that we recently launched, um, I think that's a good way to play the bond market at this point, similar to ZAG, which is the aggregate bond ETF on our product shelf that gives you exposure to the uh, Canadian aggregate bond market. ZUAG is going to be very well diversified in a very similar way. Um, so you're going to get exposure to credit. You're going to get exposure to shorter and longer duration bonds as well. But as a long-term position, I think this is a good you know, building block in the portfolio. Um, it's going to get you exposure to, you know, as I mentioned, a very well diversified portfolio. But from a tactical perspective, I think it's um, a good ETF as well. Um, you know, through this ETF, you're going to get exposure to uh, corporate bonds. So right now we see pretty good amount of spread tightening in investment grade bonds in the U.S. at this point. Uh, in addition to this, you get the inversion of the yield curve. So that duration exposure is going to come in handy to a portfolio as well. Overall, the, the portfolio has a yield to maturity of 4.3% and a duration of 6.3. So you know, the characteristics are pretty good for a, a building block in, uh, in the portfolio at this point. 
But another reason why I like uh, ZUAG as a building block into a portfolio is if you look at you know portfolio construction from a Canadian investor's point of view, um, if you own you know Canadian bonds as well as you know Canadian equities, you're owning a lot of the same companies across the capital structure. So the addition of you know U.S. bond exposure is going to get you diversification from a corporate standpoint as well. So. Um, I think from a building block perspective, I think this is a good way to get diversification into a portfolio. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Chris, we'll pass the next one over to you. In the recent State of the Union by President Biden, he spoke about the potential to further raise taxes on buybacks. What does this mean for U.S. dividend ETFs going forward? Thanks, Mackenzie. And by way of background, you know, just last year in 2022, the Democrats passed some legislation you know, in a broader um, package that added this 1% tax uh, on buybacks. And that was to start here in 2023. Now, at the time, it was, you know, challenging for the Democrats to get that into the package as it was even at a 1% level. So it's hard to see, um, you know, this number going up. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there, there were thoughts that even at a 1% level, very, very low number, it would have actually very little impact on corporate behavior and would not really curtail buybacks uh, in any way. Now, so far here in 2023, we've seen announcements in January through uh, earnings of a significant amount of buybacks. And so I think that's come true that, um, you know, this 1% hurdle is not really causing companies to rethink any buyback programs. And so, you know, we've seen actually in January alone, 132 billion uh, in buyback programs announced. Now, of course, this can take place over several years, depending on which company we're talking about. Um, but that was that number was more than triple what we saw last year. And so, if anything, buybacks uh, have increased here uh, so far in 2023 with the one percent tax. And this has been led by you know the energy companies. You know, we've talked about on the uh, record profits coming out of that sector in the U.S. So Chevron and Exxon announcing very strong buyback programs, but not just in, in the energy space. We saw Meta as well, the, the parents of Facebook, announce a $40 billion buyback program as well. And so technology sector, certainly strong in the area of buybacks. Uh, energy as well, as we discussed in financials, tend to be very um, uh, strong in this area as well. And so, again, with, with Joe Biden indicating favoring increasing this tax to 4% or, or even further, um, again, I, I don't see that actually happening, particularly in the near term, as um, you know, Republicans have taken over control of the House. I don't think they'd be in favor of raising taxes in, in this way, certainly. Um, but what it does do is it indicates that over time, you know, this could be a sticking point. This could be a, a, a speaking point for Democrats you know, going into the, the next uh, election and, and even beyond that. And, it's, uh, again, one of those talking points of how to raise taxes on corporations without, um, you know, significantly hurting individual investors or, or Main Street, so to speak. Now, if that does happen, if, if buybacks did get taxed at a significant rate above that 1% and would cause companies to start rethinking their programs, um, if anything, you would think that would lead to potentially higher dividends uh, being paid out in the U.S. Now, typically. Uh, if you look globally, uh, the U.S. market generally has lower dividend yields than other areas, uh, other developed markets. If we take a look just at the S&P 500, you know, the dividend yield there is about 1.6 percent. 
Uh, if we look uh, here north of the border in Canada, uh, the composite has about a 3% dividend yield. And international markets, if you measure it by MSCI EFI, has a dividend yield somewhere between 3 and 4%. Um, and so, you know, you can see there is room for additional uh, dividends to be paid out in U.S. companies relative to those developed markets. Um, but again, it's something that we think would potentially take place over a long period of time. Now, in terms of how that affects um, dividend ETFs, you know, directly it doesn't affect them, of course, um, you know, especially if we're talking about this playing out over the long term. But what it does highlight is what are we trying to achieve um, with dividend ETFs and in particular foreign dividend ETFs? You know, for Canadian investors uh, investing a, in a Canadian dividend fund, you know, there's a preferential tax treatment of Canadian dividends uh, and it can lead to a nice income stream, particularly on an after-tax basis. But when you're looking at dividend funds uh, that invest largely outside of Canada, you don't really get that same beneficial tax treatment. Um, you know, there's withholding tax on dividends, uh, so you don't even get it all up front, as well as taxed as foreign income, so it's not very tax efficient either. But what it does do uh, by investing in a properly constructed dividend ETF is it directs you towards companies that have that cash flow generation that are able to, to make those dividends to begin with. And so what you're doing really is identifying companies that have a strong operating uh, profit or, or strong operating cash flow that comes from their business and is an indication of a healthy company that can, that can meet those dividends and, and even increase them over time. And if you take a look at uh, BMO US Dividend Equity ETF, uh, ticker ZDY, um, that's exactly what we're doing in this ETF. We're not necessarily screening for high dividend payers, but we're looking for companies that have grown their dividend over time uh, and are able to meet that dividend through uh, cash flow from operations. And so you get a comfort level that these companies are going to continue paying their dividends. They're going to grow them over time. And the reason is because their, their businesses generate a high level of cash and therefore are, are, are healthy businesses. And so, you know, really, that's one of the benefits of dividend investing is you are finding those companies that have those strong um, operating businesses. And so, um, you know, that's really what investors should be looking at, um, you know, whether it comes through the form of buybacks or comes through the form of dividends. Um, these are companies returning capital to investors. Um, that's over and above what they're reinvesting in their own business. And so taking a look again, particularly on non-Canadian dividend ETFs, take a look at the, the methodology of how that ETF is, is built, how those dividends are, are identified, and what type of companies that actually results in. Uh, because again, we think with ZDY, finding those companies that are cash generative, that can grow that dividend over time, uh, is not necessarily leading to the best income, uh, particularly on an after-tax basis, but it's leading to a strong outcome in terms of uh, the businesses that you're that you're investing in. Great, thanks, Chris. Amid elevated interest rates and market volatility, consider six BMO ETFs yielding over six percent, including the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF (ticker ZWC), featuring solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF (ticker ZWB) invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. 
Or the BMO-covered call utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, and ZWU. Sticking with the theme of uh, the recent State of the Union, Buy America seems to have had have bipartisan support, given the support from both sides during the speech. Is this further supporting U.S. equities? And what area could benefit the most, small caps, mid caps, or large caps? Alfred, we'll turn this one over to you. Sure. So, um, you know, I think that Buy America is um, supportive to a degree. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that this act has been around since 19, uh, 1933, uh, but it is an executive order that um, President Biden has been talking about um, over the last two years or so. Um, but potentially, I think, you know, the major difference here being that uh, with the midterms out of the way and in the rear view at this point, you probably get some real um, bipartisan support at this point. And you, you get a little bit less you know, political jockeying at this point. Um, or as much bipartisan support as, you know, 2023 politics will allow you to have. Um, on top of that, you know, I think with the increasing trend towards deglobalization, I think that Buy America theme is going to have a lot more legs to it as well. Um, so for our listeners that don't know, the act essentially applies to all U.S. government agencies when making purchases of goods over $10,000. Uh, so that applies to articles, uh, materials and supplies and is used for public use, um, the goods must be produced in the U.S. So uh, the goods must be manufactured in the U.S. and at least 50% of the cost of components must come from the U.S. So I think this should be supportive for um, US, U.S. equities in general. But um, you know, keep in mind that even though it should be supportive for U.S. equities, obviously there's a lot of factors that are going to drive um, the equity markets in addition to you know, things like the Buy America theme. But from a purely Buy America perspective, it, I think it's going to benefit more so the mid and small caps, uh, more so than the large caps. So when looking at, you know, the components of the S&P 500, so looking at the holdings of ZSP, which tracks the S&P 500 composite, uh, many of the names are, you know, largely kind of global conglomerates, uh, which have very diversified revenue streams. So they're going to be, you know, getting revenues from all over the world. Um, and when you consider that, you know, Biden really emphasized uh, Buy American when it is applicable to federal infrastructure projects, um, then I think, you know, when you read into that, I think it's going to benefit a lot of the smaller and mid-cap names in ZSML, which is our uh, BMO small cap index ETF, and ZMID, which is our BMO mid-cap index ETF, a lot more than the large cap names. So when I'm looking at you know the holdings of ZSML, you know names like Olympic Steel, Materion, Kaiser Aluminum, and looking at you know the components of mid caps, so names like you know US Steel, uh, Cleveland Cliffs, uh, I think all those names potentially could benefit from this Buy America Act. Um, and you know when you read into the names, these are all probably names that a lot of investors you know, aren't aware of. It's probably not on the investor's um, typical radar investment universe. Um, so as a result of that, you know, getting that exposure through an ETF, you know, getting a very broad basket of securities that will largely benefit from that Buy American initiative is a good way to play it. Um, you know, on top, on top of that, 
uh, when you consider, you know, which sectors are going to benefit from this Buy American Act, it's probably, you know, industrials, materials, uh, information technology to degree as well. And then when I look at, you know, the sector exposures of ZSML and ZMID, um, the sum of these three sectors in those uh, two ETFs generally range in the, um, you know, between 35 and 45%. So I think this is a great way for investors to play that American, that Buy America theme. But again, you know, uh, to my point earlier, um, you know, the factors that drive the equity markets is going to be more than the Buy America theme. So you know, that's one thing to keep in mind. But you know, for investors that want to play that theme, I think uh, ZSML and ZMIT are a good way to play that theme. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I just want to thank you to everyone for listening in and coming back each week. And a special thank you to both Alfred and Chris for providing some great insights. So with that, I just want to thank everyone and have yourself a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Chris McHaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard about the BMO Balance ETF, ticker ZBAL, which gives investors a diversified basket of global equity and fixed income exposure. Our experts also discussed the BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, which invests in a wide pool of U.S. bonds with at least one year until maturity. And finally, the BMO S&P U.S. Mid-Cap Index ETF, ticker ZMID, providing access to U.S. mid-cap stocks. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.